0: This is the Low Tox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this
1: clockwork
0: light. hello and welcome to the low tox life podcast i'm alex stewart your host and this is show 159 today i have an incredibly special guest professor Vina Sajwala, and she is talking green manufacturing and the power of the microfactory i had the great pleasure of sitting next to someone on an airplane recently And we got chatting. We were going to have 13 hours ahead of us. You know how you do that kind of polite, oh, yeah, you know, like a little chit-chat and then go on your merry way to to your own work and movies or whatever else you're doing, sleep. Um, But in in this particular circumstance, a book he was reading caught my eye and it was on marketing. And I had heard of the book but I hadn't read it myself yet, so I was keen to see what he thought. He actually said, I'm not a marketer, my wife is. Uh, she's just always talking about marketing and the projects she heads up and I wanted to get a deeper understanding about her work so I'm reading this book at, on her recommendation. I was like, what a great husband, cool. What, it is, what is it that you do though? And then he uh, explained what he did and we, uh, he was a chemical engineer by trade originally and now a patent, um, a patent lawyer And uh, just the most fascinating conversation ensued where he then mentioned his friend, Professor Veena, at University of New South Wales. And I asked, you know, a ton of questions. I was so excited about her work. He said, can you imagine a world where you can recycle used rubber tires into new steel? And I was just like, wow. So we we ended up chatting about some of the innovations in the recycling space, uh, which can be a really disheartening space when you see things like uh, the documentary War on Waste and you realise how little gets recycled and how many uh, overseas countries who perhaps used to take our recycling in the case of Australia are now rejecting it. And you think, is this even helping when you're recycling? But what Professor Vena is going to be talking to us about is really big picture stuff today uh, in, on the topic of recycling. And we also talk about how uh, microfactories are going to be one of the keys to uh, economic stability moving forward and such an important player as a small business in uh, the uh, emissions reducing and circular economic peace so making things into new things once their present life is done so i know you're going to love this show with bina she is so intelligent her uh, she's a cnta professor Uh, I I could go on and on and on about all of the awards that she has won. She's an ARC Laureate Professor. She's revolutionising recycling science to enable global industries to safely utilise toxic and complex complex wastes as low cost alternatives to virgin raw materials and fossil fuels. She's the founding director of the University of New South Wales, my old uni, Centre for Sustainable Materials Research and Technology. And Vina and her team are working closely with industry partners to de- deliver new science processes and technologies that are gonna drive the redirection of many of the world's most challenging waste streams away from landfill and back into production. Ah, how exciting to know that someone like Professor Veen is on the planet fighting this amazing fight with her incredible brain and her beautiful team. So I am just about to hook into that conversation with her. I just wanted to remind you, no, you're not listening to the wrong show. We have just changed the music and we have the wonderful music of Melanie Horsnell, an Australian independent artist uh, who is now gracing our podcast with the intro and outro with one of my favourite songs of hers, Birds. I've known Mel and her incredible music for 20 years. We even used to sing in pubs together for a brief time uh, until I realised, actually, that my work is best done somewhere else and let me leave music to the incredible talents that I used to get to sing with, such as uh, was Carr, Mel, Lior, uh, Paul Green and, and many more wonderful artists. So, um I sort of had a little light bulb moment the other day when I was uh, thinking about how much, how generic our music sounded and I loved that it was happy and up when I first chose it for the podcast three and a half years ago. But I thought, oh, it just, it doesn't really mean anything to me. And music has always had to mean something to me. What could I use instead? Could I maybe have a tinker on the guitar and record something myself? And I thought, no, the world doesn't need to hear that. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, I know all these talented musicians. Why don't I reach out? Actually, why don't I reach out to Mel, one of my favourite songs ever, Birds, and see if she would be okay with us putting it on the show, and she was. She was thrilled. So please do go and check out MelanieHorsnell.com. Uh, I've popped the link in the show notes for anyone who wants to check out her music. This particular song is from her album The Adventures Of, which is a 2005 album, and you can actually buy a digital download of that album for only 10 Australian dollars. So if you're in the US, that's like $7 US. It's nothing. And yet you're supporting a wonderful independent artist so many good tunes on that uh, and it's a really peaceful beautiful uh, album something that really lovely and mellow to put on in the background while you're pottering around in your home maybe on a Sunday morning or listening while you're having a gorgeous dinner with the people you love melaniehorsnell.com and I'm absolutely thrilled to have her music gracing our show Speaking of the show, uh, go and enjoy this fantastic conversation now with Professor Veena. I cannot wait to hear what you guys thought. Hello, Veena. How are you?
2: Hello, Alex. Uh, Really, really well. And thank you for inviting me on your program.
0: I am so excited to have this conversation because often, as I was just saying before we started recording you know so many of us can be really really worried about things like recycling and climate crisis and and not feel like we are doing enough ever as an individual, but we don't often get shared uh, the stories about incredible scientists doing groundbreaking work. Yeah. Uh, I think that there are many more stories we need to tell and yours is one of them.
2: <laughs> and, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you're, you're absolutely spot on there. there. There is hope. And I think the important thing is it's really about us working together and collaborating. Mm. You know, yes, scientists do their thing, um, but I think it's also important. Then you know, coming into putting that concept and ideas and the science into practice, mm. and how you can then actually you know deploy those ideas. Exactly. So that you need to be able to collaborate, you need to work with industry, and you need to kind of bring those ideas to life. And and I guess this is why you know collaboration is so important. So we don't kind of see it as. Um, oh well, this is this is sort of my thing, uh, because I think it's like it's like a whole family unit, you know. If you can kind of think about that, you know, it kind of works well when everyone's got their bits to do that they're really passionate about, but yet at the same time, we have a common goal and a common purpose, Mm. if I can put it that way. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You're basically saying we need to bring back the village. For progress as well, not just for families, because we've kind of broken that up, uh, unfortunately, as well. Um, So cool. Okay, so where are we going to start with this? There's so much I want to ask you, but I will start by asking you about your personal journey into the work that you do, because uh, obviously, you've got an incredible team around you as well. And I'm, I'm interested to know, as a scientist, was it a personal passion that you've always had, as soon as you kind of clocked there were issues around recycling and uh, waste, and linear processes, material usage that then just get tossed into these huge yeah. heaps and we hope that we never have to see them again. Was <laughs> that always there for you or did it unfold as your studies unfolded?
2: Yeah, no, it's interesting. I was uh, born in Mumbai in mm-hmm. India. So, um, you know, I'm sure your your listeners will probably know a little bit about Mumbai, how, you know, as basically an industrial sort of, you know, heartland of India. Mm. Uh, It's a city that almost sort of never sleeps. And I think what I loved about growing up as a kid in Mumbai was the fact that recycling and materials and, and everything around, you know, you was really seen with a very important purpose, which is whether the purpose was about, you know, people who are collecting materials are creating livelihoods around that whole sort of, you know, local economy Um, Mm. that was kind of just being built at the grassroots level, um, which I really loved. I loved the fact that you could literally have, you know, a couple of people who would go around collecting different types of materials and and broken bits of, you know, uh, bottles and find a way uh, to put that back into supply chains. And Mm. I guess even though I did not quite sort of know the fact that this was recycling (laughs) and i didn't quite know the big terminologies um you know around recycling i kind of understood it in a in a very simplistic you could almost kind of say you know that very pure childlike um fascination and fascination i was Mm -hmm. like wow this is cool because look here is a little medicine bottle that now the medicine is over, but somebody's still interested in the bottle, and somebody's going around collecting it um, because they can use it for something else. And I think to me it was almost um, this pure fascination with the fact that that means nothing was really going to waste. Mm. And, and I love the fact that there was, you know, this little local business person and I actually kind of create a whole business around it. Um, so again. You know, it's not like, you know, I kind of knew um, what was happening to it, but I could just see at that really, really tiny level of the interaction that I would have with people um, as a kid that there were so many opportunities. And I love that kind of entrepreneurial spirit.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it seems (laughs) like it's part of the city's identity for people to make their own way, find, you know, gold out of dust (laughs) and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, so cool. Okay, so obviously that was a fascination as a child. Yes. Did you always then want to be a scientist going through school? Uh, I definitely had
2: that sort of sense that um, you know, again, uh, you know, whether it was science or engineering. I mean, I've I've studied engineering, um, and and uh, yes, I mean, at that age, you sort of know that okay, this is cool because I can kind of look at materials and I can understand. you know kind of roughly that there is a purpose of every material mm. so for me that sort of notion of both in a way science and engineering kind of fitting together in that ecosystem was very fascinating because on one hand at the really really tiny level um you know you'd kind of be fascinated as to how materials were made but at kind of at the larger societal level it was almost nice to be able to see how different products were being used in society. Um, So as you can imagine, there, there was that element of both, you know, science at the very basic level uh, but also engineering and how it all made the world work. But then I, I guess to me, also there was that fascination of how it all came together. Mm. (laughs) Uh, And I, I just remember, you know, uh, being really fascinated with the fact that when you actually broke things, um, they They kind of made all of this sense of, ah, this is what these materials are actually made of. I just remember breaking a ceramic sink when I was growing up as a kid.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure mum was super impressed.
2: Yeah, right. I was going to say, I don't think that was part of my plan. The plan was actually to break something else. Mm. Um, the irony in all of that was I ended up breaking the sink, not the hard coconut, but I was actually meant to Ah, it. gotcha. <laughs> it's kind of funny where you sort of, you know, you kind of do all these experimentations, as I'm sure all kids do, um, as part of play. And uh, and I just remember playing with my little brother and going, well, I feel like having this coconut when well, I'm going to break it. So I was just fascinated with the fact that when you actually broke things, it actually looked a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I think it was just, just part of that sort of sense of, I guess, exploration. If you it yeah. that way, in my mind, I was sort of going into a whole new world, which, of course, in my mind, I knew I was being naughty. You know, it's like every kid mm. knows when you're being naughty and you're doing something uh, you're kind of not supposed to do. So you're right. Yeah. I, when the reality dawned on me when my parents were about to come home, I was like, oops, whatever. <laughs> what am I, <laughs> what am I gonna say? So yeah, no, so it was it was very much part of that sense of which I guess it comes back to that basic issue, right? I mean, when you when you're kind of um teaching kids and when kids are learning, I think that sense of pure imagination and exploration and fascination. All has to kind of let it happen in own mm. way. Yeah. I think to me, that's really where I felt really privileged that I certainly grew up in a home where, you know, as much as, you know, like you say, mum wasn't too impressed. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think she kind of got it. That's where I... Um, you know, where I was coming from. So, mm. And obviously your parents
0: fostered a Anything Is Possible yes. kind of vibe for you because, my gosh, have you won a ton of awards. It's crazy. I reading your bio just going, okay, wow, you know, where do we start with this? <laughs> like are there any awards that have, you know, many not only as the first female scientist to win those awards both here and in India, but is there any award that, was really just a huge deal either culturally or as a woman or just as a scientist that really stood out for you as a, oh, my gosh, I'm going to lead a big, brave life achieving stuff that's quite, um, you know, pioneering.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, it was definitely, um, I remember, you know, for the work that I've done, which is green steel, um, you know, I I guess um, more than a decade ago um, I I won the Eureka Science Prize here in Mm. Australia. And I think to me, the nice thing about that award was, it was sort of this sense of, oh wow, so all of these ideas that, you know, I thought were crazy, um, you know, but I did it uh, because I loved it. Suddenly now it's it's kind of winning the Eureka Science Prize, which is, you know, all of this fabulous uh, scientific part of your work kind of being recognized at the scientific level. But I think, the you know, fast forward a decade, um, you know, then I also presented that work um, in the States, actually in Pittsburgh, and I won a a prestigious prize there that was, um, you know, in a way a recognition that um, that that whole sort of steel industry, recognizing the fact that green steel um, was something that everyone was kind of standing up and paying attention to. Mm. in a way it was that nice sort of over that period um two bookends one was really start of that journey with a science prize but then you know in a way recognition from the steel industry um that this was green steel was something that um uh, you know was something that would be a game changer for
0: amazing can you can you share actually what green steel is and how you went about creating it
2: Um, Yeah, so green steel is basically a technology that, uh, you know, takes waste rubber tires. Mm -hmm. And the technology is about finding a solution where tires actually become a valuable material in the production of steel, where we can actually replace some of the um, coal-based, um, you know, feedstock that uh, is traditionally used in the steel industry. So um, yes, the steel industry um, does use coal-based materials um, for for important reasons. Um, so you you had to almost think about the fact that um, if you're going to replace coal, you had to find an alternative, mm. and in a way to find an alternative that wasn't just. Okay, well it's nice and green. That's a nice thing from an environmental point of view. But you can imagine, you know, for the steel industry, it's very of course. Important. You know, you used well, to look at what happened to Pennsylvania
0: when they started shutting down all the steel plants in Allentown. And I visited those steel plants right. and they are vast and empty. And you can just see the thousands of families whose lives would have been completely financially destroyed
1: yes. by
0: the shutting down of that plant, never mind the irony of the casino that then opens, bussing in tourists from China, where steel is now (laughs) produced, uh, you know, back into this little town that's now become a random casino town. Just bizarre stuff that happens where we're not focused on the just transition of the people involved in the industries. Yes, Um, and manufacturing plants that need to fold.
2: Yeah, look, absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the the head there that, you know, we need to think about, you know, at the end of the day when we talk about economics, you know, why are we doing it? Why Mm. are we kind of creating economies? Because at the core of it lies people. You Mm. know, you're you're looking after people, you're creating uh, an environment where people can thrive and live, you know, happy and healthy lives so you want to also deliver a clean environment. Um, And, of course, not to mention jobs. Mm. So um, to your point about, you know, how can you shut down, you know, core manufacturing facilities and and it's not that steel is just a nice thing to have. It's an essential material. You mm. know, our buildings depend on it. Our cars depend on it. So many things in our lives depend on, uh, you know, metals. And so it goes to your point about manufacturing. Mm. And the fact that we need to think about when we develop new technologies Yes, it's nice to have technologies that are environmentally sustainable, but they have to actually deliver quality products. Mm. No point saying, Yeah, I've developed a technology here which is good for recycling, but actually, it can't really produce any quality uh, products and materials. It's got to take all of those boxes. Absolutely. Good for the environment, it's got, got to be good for the economy. Mm.
0: And and that performance aspect of transition is so important. You know, a really basic example is I remember when I started removing environmental toxins from our family home, whether it was our personal care products, uh, you know, whatever it was, the deodorant was a real sticking point because we couldn't, find something that performed and it really illustrated for me as I then began to become a teacher in this space and help people transition to safer products for people and planet um, was if it doesn't perform, you're not going to get the change, the buy-in that is required um, for us to make big shifts and I don't think it's different in any other area of Mm -hmm. uh, industry or creation,
2: uh, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And I think you're spot on there that, you know, we want to be able to, whether it's about making deodorants or whether it's about making metals, um, you need to make sure that for consumers, this actually addresses the purpose mm. and the application uh, for which it's been designed. So it's no point saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to create green steel and I'm going to use waste rubber tires as an alternative material. Uh, but the steel maker is not happy with it. So mm. you need to have the steel makers and people who are making the product be satisfied that this is going to meet their specifications. So ultimately, you know, for any product, it's all about the specs. Uh, and, and so therefore, it's going to perform well. And of course, um, you know, the more complex our products become, whether it's about a highly engineered product like steel and ceramics and and polymers all of these are complex products that have been engineered to do a certain job for us um, the harder it becomes because we need to be able to make sure that we understand the manufacturing process we understand the environmental constraints and we understand the performance of the product that we are making but in all of that lies the fundamental issue that at the end of the day end users people like us who are going to use a particular product have to be happy yeah. and it's point Creating something that is of low quality and low performance. And it's no point saying, oh, just because it's a recycled product, we're prepared to accept a compromise. We shouldn't accept mm. a compromise. And this is where, of course, that whole, you know, intersection of science and engineering has to come together. As yeah. be able to make products that perform well, but we need to do it in a way that we can actually grow our jobs around this whole new economy, around that circular economy that says, you know what, there are a whole range of products and materials that we use in our society and we're never going to stop doing that. So let's accept the fact that as technologies evolve, you know, whether it's, you know, our new phones, our computers, all of these systems around us is what enables life as we know it. Mm. Modern technology has been good for us you know, whether it's the field of medicine or education or communication, all of these things modern technology has delivered. So we need to sort of accept the fact that it is part of our lives.
1: Mm. And therefore,
2: when we talk about systems like batteries and our computers and phones and e-waste and and metals like steel, you know, we, we can't imagine modern life without it. So let's accept that that's what life is. And therefore, if we're talking about a whole new economy, that's going to be built around our ability to create products, then equally we need to think about how we're going to take those products at the end of their lives and how we're going to bring them back to life again. So that ability to go into the stage beyond recycling, you know, so we talk Mm -hmm. about reuse, recycle, but then talk about reforming
1: Mm -hmm. our end of life Mm
2: -hmm. products so that those products then can be reformed into new products again. So ultimately, we're keeping our materials in our economy, moving around, constantly doing different functions. And I think that's exciting because mm. it means that we shouldn't be throwing away our products and our materials into landfill ever. Mm. It's really smart if we are really focused on this issue that we need to create our materials in a way that we can put it back into different applications, then that's really what you know, circular economy could actually be delivering to to our societies across the world.
0: Mm, absolutely. And I think it's, it's interesting because people talk about the circular economy as if it's something new
1: <laughs> and,
0: uh, and like this hot that new thing that's happening. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I just think of your beautiful little girl story, fascinated by the men in Mumbai, you know, collecting this and turning it into something else. You know, that's yes. been happening for decades. We yes. think about nature. I mean, it gives us a circular economy it engineers everything beautifully to continue to um, make new life out of old things. So um, you're
2: actually, actually right. I think, I mean, when, when people sort of say circular economy is difficult or it's just this little thing on the side, that's actually not true at all. Mm. It's start to, you know, have, you know, and, in fact, share stories exactly how we're doing now about how we might be able to inspire each other um, mm. to actually think about circular economy becoming a mainstream idea in our everyday lives. So it is about all of us doing our own bit and saying, whether it's in our homes or in our in our offices, it's about do I have the power to make things happen? Do I have the power to collaborate, uh, whether it's with my local government, my councils, or the business where I work in? Do I have the power to inspire others because I can kind of champion certain causes. And, and look, I think it's already happening. We're seeing, you know, local governments um, where, you know, I might get invited to speak about how we might be recycling some complex materials. Um, and it's not about a local government thinking, I've got to solve this problem myself. Um, but it's about thinking about that whole collaboration of bringing in researchers, bringing in businesses and saying, let's all kind of share the pain. Mm. It, it is something Yeah, to work together. Mm, absolutely. And when it comes
0: to your incredible green steel, are we seeing it in um, applications uh, as consumer products yet?
2: Yeah, look, absolutely. We've had uh, steel producers both in Australia as well as overseas who have taken up green steel as a technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in fact, um, you know, a couple of steel plants who are already using uh, this technology are already uh, producing products and they have been doing for many years. Uh, which means, you know, the products that you can go back and trace back right to, you know, companies who are using the technology, you can actually go back and see what they make, where these products, um, you know, have ended up. And, and, you know, people may not even realize, but if you're supplying, you know, steel, for example, to building and construction applications, and if they are coming from certain companies who are using our technology, uh, that's already there in practice and in use
0: amazing so these rubber tires that once upon a time were thrown into the bottom of the ocean on a like a coral trial let's see if things just start to grow around them and it created a total dead zone
1: yeah Um, no
0: longer do they need to be uh sort of carelessly thrown away we can turn tires into steel with this technology
2: and you can use it for for steel production and that that's where i think sometimes people just assume that You know, you've got to convert like for like, like Mm. a tire, then I have to convert it into another tire. Another rubber product. Yeah, exactly, or another rubber product. But in this instance, if your rubber product is actually not really fit for further applications as another rubber product, you really need to be able to say, you know, in what way can I reform it beyond just that macro rubber, Mm. but rather at the molecular level, what are the kinds of molecules that are actually present? So when we talk about the fourth hour of reform, what we're really saying is that in a a rubber tire, you actually have got hydrogen and carbon and elements like that, which are part of a complex molecular structure. And so when they are part of that complex system, you can actually use it where you've literally unpacked it. And in a steelmaking process, under the right conditions, the chemical reactions allow us to, you know, productively utilize those molecules. So it is really, in a way, a molecular transformation that we are talking about. So you don't have to just always think that, right, it's a rubber product, so it has to come back to life as a rubber product. Mm. So that whole thought of reform is saying, um, yes, when you can do that, that's great, but when you can't, you can go back and literally zoom in right down at the micro level and start to see its purpose in completely different ways. So the fact that in our steel making, you know, furnaces were using rubber tires as a replacement for coal-based carbon means mm. that it's delivering carbon and hydrogen uh, in a steelmaking environment. So it's not really kind of, you know, acting as a rubber, mm. but rather it's acting as a resource, a brand new resource of those elements uh, that are needed in production. So you're you're really looking at recycling in a completely different way. Mm. And that ability to kind of go back and look at that fourth hour of reform is what then makes it so exciting because mm. then go back and go, well, actually, if it's fit for this industry, that's great. If it's not, then let's see where else we could put into application. So could
0: we just literally be driving around in a taxi today that's used green steel um, unbeknownst to us?
2: Well, actually, um, it depends on who the manufacturer of that steel is. Gotcha. And depends on where that taxi came from. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say yes in all cases. Yeah. But you would almost be able to go back and track um, okay, well, here's steel that went into making a building, for instance, because the kind of steel that you put into buildings would be quite different to what you would put in, for example, in an automobile. Mm-hmm. But this is where, of course, when we as consumers, we look at it, we may not necessarily know that there might be different grades of steel. Mm. And so, of course, which is the reality with all kinds of materials. And products. You know, even with plastics, people assume, ah, oh, well, all plastics are bad. Um, that's not quite the case because there are so many different types of plastics. Yeah. Some incredibly amazing things for us. There are plastics in our cars and in our electronics. And of course, everybody knows that the plastics are also single use, which are clearly not a good idea. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's really about understanding that there are different types of plastics and metals around. So we need to be able to go back and understand which of those materials can actually be used in a way that we can see them as not a single use, but rather as renewable materials. Mm. Can we actually renew them? Can we bring them back to life in different forms? So that whole sort of reform question is not just a scientific, you know, question, but also at that almost philosophical level. Mm. saying, Can we work harder to bring reform into our everyday lives so that we're not sort of just thinking it's just a linear economy, we've made something, we've used it, and we've thrown it away. You know, why should we throw it away if we know that a lot of our electronics, our cars and all these materials are really valuable? And it's only a matter of understanding what it contains, but also creating that whole supply chain so that, you know, I might be someone who's in the recycling business and I can go and tap into different types of materials from waste, But then I need to partner or supply to a manufacturer who might be manufacturing a completely different product, who might go, actually, wait a minute, that plastic that you have, I could use that plastic in my manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So suddenly you're starting to create that value chain. And I think this is where we're moving away from a linear economy type of thinking to a much more of a circular economy thinking, because you know that there will be a whole range of manufacturers who may be really happy that they've got access to good quality materials. So part of our work right now, in addition to research at the Smart Centre, is also we are running a Circular Economy Innovation Network, which has been established um, in, here in New South Wales, um, and it has been funded through the Office of Chief Scientist and Engineer. And that's been a good thing. We have the privilege now to be running a network like that um, on behalf of the Office of Chief Scientist, um, that we can actually bring together all of these stakeholders, mm. bring together different businesses, and we can actually create that supply chain and you know, really foster and facilitate different ways in which our materials can be brought to life.
0: Mm. Um, keeping That's- those
2: materials in our economy is good for everyone.
0: So what's really interesting about what you've just said is it makes me think of our medical model where we have all these compartmentalised people who don't talk to each other about a patient, uh, you know, for all the different specialisations, and we've realised perhaps, well, many doctors have, that that's not a great model and we all need to start talking to each other for better outcomes. It feels like business, technology, technology, Everybody needs to adopt a much more collaborative spirit if we're going to have better outcomes, in this case, for our planet. Uh,
2: Look, absolutely, and that's a really beautiful analogy, you know, because, I mean, you know, the human body and the complexities around it and you could almost sort of argue that the ecosystem Mm. and our planet, you know, the complexities of the fact that we have to balance the needs of modern society um, and we've got to balance the needs of our planet um so that we can make sure that the world keeps running but it's certainly not business as usual Mm. the world needs our materials and our products and yes we need our electronics and we're not sort of telling people go back and and throw away your phones and (laughs) and computers you you're basically telling people that yes you can you can kind of have a life that you become used to but you need to think more carefully about your actions, you need to think. And and in a way, that personal responsibility of what we say as an individual, as a company, as a society and governments, I think all of that needs to work in harmony. I
0: really like that you've, wor- you've brought the word responsibility back into it
2: because mm. it feels like
0: we've moved into this mass epidemic of pass the buck Yeah, right. anyone's fault and mm. no one is admitting anything and we're all blaming the guy over there or the girl over there. Yes, yes. Just sit with the responsibility that we have to be a good human <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, at, you know, at every level as you just yes.
2: pointed out.
0: It's so key.
2: It totally, totally. And in fact, what I love about that is that, you know, as we've been kind of talking about circular economy, as we've been engaging with different stakeholders, whether they are local governments, state government businesses, you know, researchers, communities, everyone has been really super excited about the fact that they can be part of a conversation. Mm. And you're right, kind of that sense of, of course, I want to take that responsibility, um, but it's also about recognizing that we can work together mm. and collaborate and not feel that suddenly, oh, my gosh, there's a finger of, you know, blame, game, pointing fingers and going, oh, it's your fault and whatever. Uh, but rather saying, no, you know what, we're all in it together because let's face it, you know, if we're consumers and we're using our electronics and our cars and everything else, well, of course, a sense of responsibility starts with us you know, at our individual family and friends level where we can advocate and talk about it, but then it grows from there at the local government levels who, yes, have the responsibility to collect our waste, um, but also then to work with local businesses. So local businesses, if they're part of the conversation, can go, you know what, actually, um, I'm happy to help out. And I think to me that's been such a such a positive thing I've seen um, you know, big and large corporates, everyone really kind of going, you know what, okay, Vina, tell me, um, what can I do? You know, mm-hmm. how can I help? And I think to me, that's been so heartwarming to see, you know, everyone wants to be, you know, having that conversation. I think to me, maybe this is what was needed. It was that sort of sense of all stakeholders, everyone coming together in this network of circular economy, because, you know, this is what our ecosystem needs. And if we recognize that collectively we are a lot more powerful in accelerating a change to a circular economy, uh, then why shouldn't we be collaborating? Mm. So I think everyone's kind of realizing that, which I think has made, in a way, this whole experience over the last six months as I've taken on this role of, of being the director of the network has made it so much more positive for me. You know, mm. and I, it's been nice that I can sort of go off and, and have all that conversation and I can go and give examples of different businesses and, and different groups, and people are very happy to hear about those stories. And it's almost like when people are hearing stories, it's that they're being inspired. Yeah. So maybe that other missing piece of the puzzle has been that, oh, wait a minute, you know, um I can do this. Mm. Because it's almost that sense of, okay, suddenly this is doable. Yeah. This, you know? And um, I think
0: this also, what I love about this is, You know, for so long, basically since GDP theory was invented in the 30s, it was just always all about economic growth and profit as really the metric of a society or a company or anything doing well. Um, And what this new wave is proposing is that, Yes, we can grow economically. We can have a bountiful uh, situation of manufacturing jobs coming back. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, and we can also do it with additional positive metrics yes. uh, that keep society humming, that keep our planet healthy. Uh, it just, it's a very uh, positive, holistic prospect for society to yeah. start thinking this way
2: that's right and I, and i think i like the fact that you know you're starting to get me to have this conversation with you around that says you know should we be challenging that notion that everything is measured are, are all our metrics always about measuring growth just on the basis of the dollars mm. attached to it i understand dollar is the way in which we measure our economy but if we can translate the benefits, the socioeconomic benefits also into dollars, then we will suddenly have more metrics that we can put into our economy. So it's not about saying that we're not going to measure growth and we're not going to do all the things that economists talk about, but it's bringing in a whole new set of indicators and our KPIs for ourselves as a society to be able to contribute to how we measure growth. Mm. And I think to me that would be pretty cool if we can sort of say, right, but wait a minute, can we not sort of bring in measurements around circular economy that say how much of our materials that would have been, that would have ended up in landfill have now been brought back into a productive economy Mm. and we not assign a measure and a metrics And a KPI around that. And I I think absolutely we can. So, you know, we need to be able to say that by pulling things out of landfill and by putting it back into our productive economy, that has not only brought materials back to life, you know, dealt with some of the environmental pollution, but also in a way created new jobs, Mm. new jobs that did not exist before. So Mm. the fact that they can be all of this new manufacturing that is built on circular economy and the fact that we could be doing localized production. So you could have a small town in a remote area somewhere that is actually creating jobs locally based on the materials that would have been disposed of. Mm -hmm. So the Mm -hmm. fact that that then creates new jobs in that community should be part of our metrics. Mm -hmm. It says that we are creating new jobs as a result of the fact that we've now put a lot of these materials into a productive economy. That is for people in the local regions because you've created these new jobs and also you've kind of brought in more and more people into that whole sort of sphere of talking about economic growth and opportunity that it's not just for a few but it is for so many more and people can be a lot more empowered if they know that it doesn't take you know a lot if collectively we can start to think about perhaps setting up micro factories for instance mm many, many communities. So it's not about just waiting for a large corporate from somewhere to come along and, you know, set up a large factory, but rather saying, no, actually, you know, if four or five of us collectively started, you know, a small business Mm. that Mm. basically allowed us to use a micro factory to be able to make products that we need, um, you know, it suddenly then means that you have created new jobs. And I think to me, it, takes away the focus always in talking about economies of scale, because everyone talks about that, to economies of purpose.
1: Mm, Love it. uh,
2: And this is where I think in a way it kind of will challenge the traditional notion of how we measure, you know, growth. Um, And I, I would love to be able to, you know, imagine, you know, at this point in time we have one PhD student working with us on, you know, both the science and the business Worlds coming together, amazing. And I think the more we start to challenge that traditional notion, so you know, it's not just about the science and the technology and the engineering pieces, but it it would be really, really cool if there are people who are in the world of business start to kind of think differently in the way you know we've always measured things in a certain way. <laughs> so, mm. we'll, oh, it's true. So, I mean, I've done
0: so much work on business education for myself as a business owner. You know, you go to classes, accelerators, you know, whatever you go to.
1: Yeah. And, uh,
0: you know, thinking back on those curriculums just as we're talking now makes me think, oh, my gosh, you know, you have you talk about your people and your staff and the culture in your company and how to, you know, build that right. You talk about how to then break down everybody's time towards quarterly annual goals um, but often those, you know, and, and I'm thinking back to the, the seminars where we all then write down the goals, they're all financial. They're all about, well, obviously about creating products that help people.
1: Yeah, um,
0: yeah. but at the end of the day, uh, yeah. people, you know, yeah, I want to grow my business 30%. No. <laughs> These are the conversations people, I want to grow my business to be a per- business of purpose. Yeah, and protect yeah. the profits that I would like to forecast. Mm. It's a more complex mission, yes. but yes. it is the mission of the way forward.
2: Yes, exactly. It is more complex and, and, yes, it's not going to be easy. We're not saying that this is not about the economy. Yes, of course, circular economy has got the word economy in it. So it is about then saying if we are talking about circular solutions, um, what does that mean in practice? But what it might mean in in Sydney might be quite different to what it might mean in in Armidale and what it might mean in Wagga Wagga. And, you know, and and we can all start to define what it could mean in our local communities because there are different businesses. You know, I was um, traveling through Armidale um, earlier this month and it was really fascinating to see that a business That is producing interiors for our built environment, um, you know, furniture products and so on. Um, Really excited about the fact that there could be an opportunity to take waste, you know, materials, whether they are, you know, our waste plastics, and there's a lot of wood waste collecting in so many um, towns. The fact that you could actually take all of that and create you know, products that are strong and beautiful and perform well, um, you know, he was, this business guy was totally fascinated. And uh, and it was kind of funny because I had this waste wood that another business in Dubbo had given me last year when I was visiting. So we, I had said to him, I said, look, um, it's great that you're doing what you're doing and he's making oils and all kinds of beautiful things out of wood. But then he also had a pile of residue wood left behind. And he was like, Okay, what do I do with it? Do I just kind of let it be here and rot away, or can I do something productive? And so I said to him, "Okay, I'll bring it back to us, our, uh, our smart center." Um, long story short, we created this beautiful product. We've combined it with waste plastics, and the beautiful smell of that cypress pine that is still there—you know, all those months later—people just get fascinated by the fact that I can give this this beautiful product, and they can literally, and I go, well, actually, just tell me if you can still smell that beautiful smell of that original cypress vine. And after all these months, and this is just something that was lying around. Mm. So I guess it's just connecting it right back to that point that you've got a small business in Dabo whose waste material could well become a beautiful feedstock for an interiors manufacturer in who who is building all kinds of beautiful products for interiors. And he goes, yep, I'm making all this fantastic products and I'm supplying into, yeah, of course I supply into Sydney, and I can supply to that. But for him, what he could just see happening is this small sample could well be the foundation for him to incorporate that into the furniture mm. that he was producing, which could be a beautiful alternative to, you know, a lot of the, the wood that he might have been, you know, MDFs and all of that, that he might have been importing Uh, from elsewhere. So that sparked an imagination. Mm. It's fine that he could kind of see how this could work for his business. And so how do we get more
0: business owners knowing even where to start in having a conversation? Who do they pick up the phone to? Is it you guys? Is it just looking online for like innovative recyclers and see what comes up. Like what, what are the steps for these businesses? Because I'm sure there'd be people listening right now thinking, I hate it when we do our conference every year and we have to provide some sort of merch item. And it always just rips me apart. I've spoken to business owner friends. I'm like, do you have to produce a merch item? That's always the first question. Does it need to be made? But if they actually have a meaningful thing they want to make, like, yes. who would they call to do it in a circular way?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, uh, the the Circular Economy Network that I was um, telling you about, of, um, the state government in New South Wales has established. Uh, we literally launched the website not that long ago. So, nswcircular.org um, is a website. I mean, obviously, it's very early days. We're starting to have these, you know, sort of uh, visits, um, meetings and conversations with businesses across the state and workshops. And so as we we ourselves find out more and more of this type of information, uh, we want to be able to upload a lot of that kind of information, but also stories of businesses. So somebody else who kind of reads the story of one business doing some pretty amazing things in Armadale and Dubbo and what have you, goes, aha, actually, I could get in touch with them or I could do something similar in my business. So part of that ability to tell that narrative of circular economy on our website is also so you know, people reading it might just feel inspired about going, you know what, this has given me a few ideas for my own business. Mm. The idea of the network is to be able to also provide that technical expertise. Um, So we want to be able to be the place where people can come to us and ask for advice. Um, and, And look, I mean, we're not saying we will have answers to all the questions, but at least as part of the network, we may well have you know, connectivity with another university. Um, You know, when we were in Armadale, we were doing it in partnerships with uh, UNE, University of Mm. UNE. So we might just be able to go, no, well, actually, we know UNE has got someone who's an expert in that area. So, you know, we can start to connect people, Um, you know, um, for example, the guy at UNE, Derek, who's a business uh, professor there. You know, so we might just be able to connect with the right, you know experts um, and and i think that's really the whole point like you're saying is often we just don't know where to start mm. and where to look for that information so we're not saying we have all the answers to everything we certainly don't um but at least we're we're engaging with so many different stakeholders across um the state mm. and that then for, for businesses it's a way to at least tap into that goodwill that intelligence and the ability to source information or as you say, you know, simply maybe talk to a business in another city and go, well actually, you know what? We need to talk. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and, and see and, um, what the collaborative potential is. Which is back to that collaboration piece that we yeah. were talking about earlier. So and I cool. Hope that we can make more of these connections possible, you know, for for communities, for local governments and for businesses. Mm. Um, so people kind of go, right, this has given me an idea. I can now go off and talk to a few of my local businesses. Mm. So, so that's really what what the network is all about.
0: Exciting. Can I ask you a nerdy chemistry question? Uh, because this is something a lot of people worried about, worried about buying a recycled product, especially when it's plastic. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, what you were talking about when you go right down to the molecular level of the rubber and, you know, create the steel um, through technology, if there were to be an endocrine disruptive component in a, a plastic, say, um, mm-hmm. a bisphenol A or a phthalate, etc., and you go down to the molecular level and you turn yes. this thing into, gosh knows what you can turn it into, <laughs> the possibilities are endless. Does that mean it's no longer endocrine disruptive?
2: Well, so this is depends. Why- it depends on, of course, what that molecule is. Mm. And the more we start to understand at that molecular level, what you can actually do is go back and say, right, have you in any way transformed and brought about that molecular transformation, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to be able to analyze those molecules. And of course, analytical tools are available. Most universities, research organizations, if you're working in this type of field, you will have the tools. So you can actually go back to, you know, um, a scientist in that field and go, you know what, can you analyze for me what this material was to begin with? And when it's undergone some transformation, what does it actually look like? Mm. So I think, again, the ability for science to actually inform the public is going to also be equally important. So we don't sort of just go, um, you know, in an emotional sense, oh, this is all bad or this is Mm. all good, but rather to be able to use scientific knowledge and evidence. Yeah. Um, which of course experts can provide, to be able to go and find out, hey, you know, does it contain BPA or not? You know, um, all right, well let's analyze it. Um let's understand uh what is it fit for a particular application or not? Um and I think this is where of course you can sort of go back and go, right, you know, if you're gonna put it into an industrial application, if you're gonna put it into a civil application versus a consumer application, there are different ways in which products are used. Mm. And I think this is why we need to be able to ask those questions and do it based on evidence. Yeah, And I think to me, this is where that whole sort of combination of community rightfully asking questions Mm. and science providing that evidence is going to be so important. And if the more we have that kind of transparent conversation, I think we can actually say, you know what, if someone's interested read this particular paper. Now, someone might say, okay, well, you know what? I'm not a scientist. I don't need to know that detail. That's okay. Then you can go to your local expert, uh, maybe to a local university and talk to them about it. So you don't have to be the expert. Of course not. I recognize that that's not necessarily always the answer, but you at least need to have access to information and transparent information so that you can actually go back and track and when we talk about food, we talk about provenance in terms of where that food has come from. Mm. You know, where was it grown? What were the chemicals that were used in you know, growing that food? So I think to me, we should actually be having similar sort of conversations about our materials and our products. We need to be able to ask those questions. You know, What kind of chemicals went into making a particular product? 100%. And I think, you know, the more we talk about it, because I think to me, one of the things... I tell people that if you're talking about food, then should we not be asking about packaging and everything mm. else that went into, you know, uh, packaging is important. Of course, it's important. We know that ultimately that's how, you know, shelf life of product is increased. That's how we can make food accessible in remote, um, you know, communities. So I think, you know, we need to be able to acknowledge the importance again of science in making that happen.
0: So yes, I, you exactly. Know, um, and so, the, I guess to finish up, I would love to ask you what uh, two things. One, what can we do at the grassroots to connect more effectively to circular economy produced items where they might not necessarily be being talked about? Um, you know, yeah. what kind of research can we do uh, to ask companies? You know, is it as simple as just starting to? express to companies that we would like to see more evidence of a circular economy in their business because we love their shoes and we would yeah. love to keep buying their shoes but we'd love yes. to see what innovation they're bringing in to yes. make it more sustainable. Is that one of the simplest
2: things we can do? I think there are certainly two ways to look at it. One, you're absolutely right. As consumers, we can mm. ask those questions or businesses um, and, and to be able to say, well, okay, if you're claiming your product is more sustainable. Um, and you're using more sustainable materials or what have you. Um, can I find out a bit more? Mm. What do you mean by that? So I think, again, you know, expecting that your retailers are going to be much, much more transparent. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Because I think as we as consumers have the right to ask that question, particularly if someone's going to be advertising their product as more sustainable, you know, product or a more sustainable solution. So I think we as consumers should be asking. Um, so I think it makes retailers and producers um, kind of realize that, hey, you know, if my customers are asking me these questions, I need to I need to have evidence and information and I need to be able to talk about that in a transparent manner. It's mm. no point kind of being all hush hush about it the more you can talk about it openly the more consumers are going to want to come to you so you're yeah. exactly right um but the other side of it is also i think we can talk to our local councils and we, we can actually support our local councils you know not just assume that oh you know okay well if i put something in my yellow bin it's all going to be fine but rather say you know what let's run a campaign together and i think to me running a campaign where you can offer to your local council that look once in every three months or six months or whatever, I can run a campaign where I can collect a certain type of plastic, for instance, So, or a certain type of metal. So even something as simple as our hangers in mm. our water, right? We all know how many times we break our hangers, our plastic, mm. you know, but go and talk to your local council to say, why don't we run a campaign where we all one weekend in our communities collect these hangers together? Yeah. So suddenly it becomes a nice clean resource of a very specific type of plastic that can be put back into our economy and mm. able to then say right if I collect metal hangers one one weekend and you know two months later I'm collecting um, you know my my metal kitchen um, appliances and broken bits of spatulas and and my you know broken um, pots and, and and just all the things everyday things that sometimes we do break are metal um, products that might have, um, you know, still good good quality metal in it, but as a functioning product, a spatula is kind of not really useful if you've kind of broken off the handle and 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 you can't actually use it. So there's a classic example of the fact that the steel on your spatula might still be pretty good. Mm. Um, so you know, talk about running campaigns where you could go to your local council and say, you know what, we've got a community centre. Let's every three months collect you know, or six months collect some good quality steel that comes out of our homes. And I think to me, the more we can run those campaigns, it's also raising awareness that there is a lot of value in these metals and plastics. Just because something is broken doesn't mean that it has lost the value in the fundamental materials Mm. that it is made of. And this is my point about the fact that the more we collect these materials in a way that makes it easy for the council to then go, okay, this is great. So I've collected all the steel, all this plastic. I will now find from experts or from the network, uh, you know, circular economy network, how can I actually channel those to manufacturers? Mm. So can I find manufacturers who are willing to take these materials and put that back into their production system? Yeah. So it's kind of taking in a way far more of a proactive approach uh, not just hoping that i'll put it in my yellow bin and so it's just going to happen mm. but rather collectively as a community to use our community centers our local governments um you know and to to work with them you know i'm yeah. sure they would love to see that communities are starting to do this and want to do this
0: yeah and well that's exactly you you just said what was in my head which was how badly do we want this And we have to really first get in touch with how badly we want it for our world, for our children's world that they're inheriting. And if we really want it, then we have to organise and make it happen. Mm.
2: Yes, absolutely. And and it would be really nice even these two things that are very simple things about us just doing what we do in our everyday lives but to be a bit more proactive yeah, ask the questions, which is why, you know, to your point, how badly do you want this to happen? Mm. That you're said you going to go to a shoe store, like you said, and ask maybe a few more questions, uh, not just whether something is on sale. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know? Not just
0: a dollar purpose up or down. Yeah, exactly.
2: I'd rather to be able to say, you know what, I think I'm getting a better response from the store next door. I might take my business elsewhere. We'll kind of make you know, retailers stand up and pay attention to the fact that you're prepared to spend your dollar based on, you know, what you think is important to you.
0: Mm. And Um, we've definitely started that. I mean, there's a huge awakening that's happened there where we are asking more questions than ever before. So it's really just about, you know, encouraging our friends, our family, more people to become a bit more, Critical of where things come from and how they're made, and whether we're okay with the answers once, once we find them.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I a, mean, it was interesting. I was see, you know, I saw a salon, I saw a signage that sort of said, you know, that they're sustainable and what have you. It was actually not a salon that I visit or anything like that, but, um, but you know, I just happened to be in the neighborhood. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I ducked in, and, um, you know, um, you know, sort of the, the girl who was working there, fair enough, she. She didn't know the answer, and she said, "Oh, maybe the store uh, manager could help uh, answer your question." So I came back half an hour later because she said, "Can hey, you come back half an hour later and you can talk to her?" So I asked the store manager, um, mm. and I think it was interesting where she actually couldn't quite give me a clear answer. Yeah, and I think to me this is where we need to be able to say, well, if I'm putting up a signage outside my store.
0: It becomes part of the training plan for the staff. Everybody's able to exactly. answer
2: questions. Yeah, I'm not Interestingly, yeah, yeah. is that, you know, if I am a potential customer, I need to be able to ask those questions because you're putting the sign up saying that, you know, hey, you're sustainable or what have you. So I think to be able to answer those questions means if I'm satisfied, I'm actually going to come and give you my business. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I was quite impressed with the fact there was a signage outside and I was like, wow, this is cool. Awesome. So that's what took me into the into the place, even though that's not a place where I go to. You know, it was totally a, away from where I live. Um, so I think to me, it's it's an interesting thing that it could be a positive draw card for businesses if mm. they are proactive in the way they are willing to be transparent in the information they want to share with their. With their customers
0: yep. yeah absolutely and funnily enough i actually had paul fresco on the show who's the founder of sustainable salons
2: uh-huh. um,
0: and who helps market hairdressing salons okay. in exchange for taking all of their waste streams i think they classify many more waste streams than they used to basically okay. where and then paul turns their all the excess hair into boons for oil um, oil spills in the ocean and turns the foil into something else just amazing things happening <laughs> so I'm sorry that that staff member couldn't give you the answer but I'm here to tell you that it's definitely a super cool program oh that's um, good to hear. yeah he was on the show in the early days so if anyone's interested in, in hearing about hairdresser okay. recycling it was a really really good chat
2: yeah, yeah. And that, this is to the point, right? I mean, there are all these examples of amazing things that businesses are doing. Yeah. So it brings us back to that point that there are enough businesses out there who see this as an important contribution. Yeah, that's right. That they can make and, 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 you know, maybe we need to have a way to quantify, you know, and to develop, you know, metrics. Mm. around it in a way that that then becomes part of how we define our growth yes exactly that's
0: i'm particularly interested in that because i think therein lies the potential for a new barometer for all business everywhere and uh and we're actually building in a far more robust way than we have since the industrial revolution which, you know, propelled us into this linear catastrophe that we found ourselves in. But yes. you know, it doesn't mean the end. It just means a reinvention and, uh, yeah, and an adoption of all of the incredible things you and your team uh, are working on. So I'll finish here then. What are you most excited about right now in your work?
2: Um, yeah, we are working on a microfactory, uh, which is running in our basement at UNSW in Sydney, where we are taking waste plastics and out of um, those waste plastics, we're actually producing plastic filaments, Mm -hmm. imagine plastic wires, um, which then get fed into 3D printers. Wow. Manufacturing. So the fact that we can take uh, waste plastics and really convert that into a really useful feedstock, which we've then shown we can add value further by putting that into 3D printing uh, means that, you know, you shouldn't be putting those plastics away into landfill. And the fact that there are so many businesses who have come to us since they've heard about it, saying, oh, this is cool, you know, we want to do 3D printing using your filaments, not just the ones that we are importing. And the more we get businesses wanting to use the products that are made out of recycled content, um, as part of their normal business, you know, they are manufacturing, uh, products um, and if they start to use it, it gives us also a lot of again evidence. We are trialing and prototyping. We're doing all of that. Mm. I think this is where you know we will gather more evidence and information when we analyze the products, so we can actually start to see that businesses are going off and using this, and the products are performing well. So we are excited because, again, we suddenly realise that we're not, we're not here just kind of in our own little space. Yeah, we're
0: not like mad scientists building <laughs> things in closed doors hoping one day someone might yeah, be interested. Yeah. This is actually viable.
2: It's viable. And I think we're most excited about that as the next sort of example of what our, our microfactory can actually deliver. And the fact that we're running it in our own basement, I said to people, we can do this in our <laughs> basement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know what, anyone can set it up and, um, you know, have it running in their own communities and, and microfactories are absolutely scalable from, you know, increase in scale or decreasing, making it smaller. So that's the nice thing about microfactories that uh, they can be scaled up or down depending on the need.
0: Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. And so correct me if I'm wrong in assuming this then the plastic filaments that had been being used or are still being used in most cases are coming from new uh, petroleum, yeah. right? Yeah. That's so of very exciting. Plastic well, plastic. Th- that's not exciting, but the fact that we could stop doing that is exciting. Recy- yeah, 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 exactly. But, yeah, no,
2: I mean this is why we're excited that people mm. are using a lot of traditional, conventional plastic filaments that you know could well be from anywhere in the world, but based on virgin resources. Yeah, actually looking to filaments that work are producing and going, oh, wait a minute, so you guys are producing a sustainable filament. We'd rather use your filaments in our mm. manufacturing. And then it makes
0: product. us look better to our customer. <laughs> yeah, so they get to kind of puff their chest and say, we're doing a good job Yeah, and then more people buy.
2: Well, exactly, exactly, which is why for us it's an important thing that, again, it's all about collaboration and partnerships. and And we do want people to take it away and use it. And if it doesn't work well, that's okay. We're in that trial phase right mm. now. We want people to give us feedback because we we have our own 3D printers in our own basement in our micro factories. So we're making the products as well. So when someone asks us, can we make a certain product? We actually trial that as well ourselves before we say to people, oh, you can make this or or not. So we've been making our own products at the same time. So it gives us a lot of our own data. And of course, it's like any other new technology. Um, You know, the more we learn from end users, And that feedback of what's working and what's not working. But the best we can do is not only make the filaments, but do our own 3D printing Mm. and manufacture those products and then have the end users look at it and see if they can go and trial it and see if that's fit for their purpose. So I think for us, that's really what a micro factory can do. And I think the more these seeds are planted, you know, across the country and across the world, we will find manufacturers, people who are using these types of technologies, of micro factories go off and continue that whole journey of invention and innovation. And I think in a way, you know, this is really what we want. We want to be able to sow the seeds of inspiration Mm -hmm. Um, and and make beautiful things that we all need.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Veena. It's just been an absolute pleasure chatting to you it just goes to show you should always have a chat to the neighbor on the airplane <laughs> because you never know who they're going to recommend for your podcast <laughs> and uh, and to know that you exist doing the incredible work you do with your team is really heartwarming in this world where a lot of us are confused about the way forward and, and whether we can actually continue to live the way we live and enjoy our technology and all the modern things um, and, of course, we need to change our spending habits. We need to ask ourselves if we need that thing. There are, we need to stop single use. Of course, there are many things that we know that need to be shelved uh, in terms of the excess Um, lives we lead but in terms of the essentials to (laughs) know that we can do it better is Mm -hmm. so heartwarming so thank you so much for your time today it was really really fascinating and fabulous chatting oh
2: thank you so much really for having me on the show likewise i really enjoyed our conversation alex thank you
0: so much for listening to today's show i hope you enjoyed it as much as i enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you now where can you find me and low tox life from here on in Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body, and mind topics, as well as kids, and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you inspire you to take community action. Uh, And uh, there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit uh, stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written over the past nine years of writing a blog. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com forward slash low life and come join the private low life club in there over time more and more cool stuff is about to be added and i can't wait to see where that community takes us it's a place where we can continue the conversations chat about the weekly show you're going to get bonus uh q a and all sorts of things over time i explain everything over on patreon so i encourage you to check that out and in the meantime i'll see you next week